Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Raw Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back this week for the review show. Uh, as we talk about Sunland versus Burnley, um, sorry to remind you all of it, but yeah, we've got something to talk about and it wasn't a nice win, as me and Chris had hoped for, maybe reluctantly, on Thursday. Uh, it was a rousing defeat, a terrible second half by Sunland in a game where in the first half we looked like we were going to walk away with it and in the second half we saw just why Burnley are such a good side. Join me today is Phil West, first of all. Hi, Phil. Hi, Gav. And also with me is Chris. Hello, mate. You're right, Gav. And just for the record, I went for a draw. <laughs> you went. You yeah, went you were, I said point. you were hoping for a win. We're always hoping for a win. We're all hoping for a win, but yeah. I, I went for a draw, just for the record. Well, I would have took a draw when we were 3-2 down. By that point, the game was <laughs> gone. I'm a little calmer today than I probably was at full time when I just wanted to avoid everything. I mean, some of the I, I opened Twitter and Facebook and I just closed it straight away. I was like, oh my God, it's unbelievable, the reaction. And I can understand it to a degree because we haven't seen a collapse like that from Sunderland in a long time. Like that, that especially at home, that's the first time where I've looked around and I've seen like a mass exodus of fans when the goal goes in. I haven't seen that for a long, long time. But, you know, it it wasn't great in that second half, was it, Chris? I mean, let's, let's just quickly round up your thoughts and feelings on there. Uh, the performance as a whole, it was poor second half, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. It's a, a game of two halves, isn't it? <laughs> Someone's got to say it, and it, and it was. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that that whole, I mean, you talked about the reaction. I mean, ev- everyone was just, you know, completely and utterly pissed off. You know, if we'd, if we'd played well... And if we'd, if we'd had a decent performance, 90 minutes and got beat 2-0, people might have just been, oh, well, you know, it was, it was one of them, played a good team. I think, And actually, the talk before the game was we're playing a good team and, you know, if we don't get something out of it, you know, so be it, it let's kind of go for it. And we, we talked on the preview, actually. I mean, I think you actually described it, Gav, as a free hit. Like you actually said it's a bit of a free hit because Burnley yeah, were a yeah, mm-hmm. good team. So, I mean, it, we had that kind of mentality beforehand, but, Going two nil up, and then Frankie and Danny kind of going in half time, talking about man of the match and all that sort of stuff already, and all this. You kind of, I mean, I wasn't in the stadium, but you might be able to talk more about it, Gav and Phil, about it. That 
it seemed like the the opening exchanges of the second half, the fans almost thought, well, it's three points in the bag. You know, people were kind of extended there, kind of pint at half time and maybe had a, a, an extra one and just thought, oh, this is brilliant. This, we've got three points. It seemed a bit flat and quiet in the stands, even mm. when we were 2-0 up that we thought we'd won it. And when it gets to that and then you kind of lose it and give it away, it it just, just makes everyone kind of pissed off. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into it. But the difference between the first half and second half, it, it was night and day, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I was stood at half time with my mates down on the concourse watching the highlights and uh, I actually said, I can't believe how bad Burnley have been. They were terrible first half. Like, I just didn't see it coming, what came in the second half. And I guess, you know, that's probably the case with the team as well. I mean, we were very, very comfortable going into the break and um, we let it slip, Phil, didn't we? It, it's the first time in a long time where we can say that, but we let our concentration slip. They'd yeah. obviously being fired up at half-time by their manager, came flying out the blocks. We had simply no answer for it, did we? No. I mean, it was a it was a topsy-turvy game to watch. Um, I thought it was a gripping game to watch, if I'm being honest with you, Gav. It was a really compelling 90 minutes of football. I think first half, it couldn't have been much better from a Sunderland point of view, could it? You know, everything that we would have wanted the players to have done, they did. Loads of aggression in our play, loads of energy. I thought the likes of Embleton were playing like men possessed. We scored two brilliantly worked goals through Ahmad and through Dan Neal. We've got Burnley where they want them. Vincent Company's looking a little bit as if to say, what's going on here on the touchline? It couldn't have been better. And then in the second half, I have to say, I think just bringing up Chris's point about maybe, you know, the fans maybe thought we had it in the bag. Only speaking personally here, I knew that Burnley were going to come back and hit us hard in the second half because I knew that Vincent Company would give them a rocket at half time. I think he would have demanded a reaction from them. So... I had a feeling that Burnley were going to respond very, very strongly in the second half. And I thought they were very good in the second half, but they were aided and abetted by some really, really slack, loose, poor player from Sunderland. And everything that we didn't want to do in the second half, we did, unfortunately. We just seemed to lose our heads, our composure went. And as soon as Burnley got back to 2-2 with those two rapid-fire goals, which I'm sure we'll come on to, it was as if our heads just dropped. The belief started to seep out of the team. The fans started to get even more edgy than they were. And then the momentum just went away from us and we just could not get it back, Gav. You know, we could just we just lost control of the game. We were starting to lose our discipline. And in the end, you pay the price. So yeah, it was it was a it was a very Jekyll and Hyde performance from Sunderland. There was plenty of good stuff on the foot on display in the first half. Very, very poor second. No, I can't disagree with any of that. And it's becoming a theme of our play, really. And Tony Mowbray keeps talking about it in his post match and his pre match uh, interviews he's doing, Chris. But we just physically we're not competing, are we? We've we've not got the players. I mean, you look at the injury list. I'm not I'm not just isolating a particular position here, but we've got Stewart who's good defensively. We've got Sims who's a big lad. Ballard missing. Gucci works hard, I guess. Who else have I, have, have I missed? Adjelisi was missing. Anybody we've got with height seems to be missing at the minute. And I'm I'm looking at it and I'm thinking physically we're just not competing. First goal, I mean, we'll go probably all the way through the action as, as we go on, but I'm, we, we just before we came on air, right, we sat and watched the goals together and the overriding theme of all of them was physically we just weren't competing, you know. First one, not good enough marking on the corner. Second one, you're expecting um, somebody to go across and make a tackle. I think it was Sirkin, he doesn't, they score from it. The third one, again, not good enough. I think it's Tri Hume on that occasion who doesn't, really put a, a full tackle in there and they end up scoring although it's a great finish and then the last one just poor communication at the back I mean the, like Phil said all avoidable 
mistakes, all avoidable goals, and really we've only got ourselves to blame. Yeah, but you know, you're talking about the kind of physicality of the team. People are talking about missing strikers being the problem. People are talking about the size of our squad being the problem that we lost four two. People talking about all of these kind of high level things, but we got it right in the first half. So yeah, you know, we got it so right in the first half that all of yeah. those things didn't fall apart in fifteen minutes at half time. We showed in the first half we are a fantastic side and we kind of, I don't think Burnley quite knew what hit them in that first half. We absolutely blew them away. Just to give the, the side a bit of credit for the rest of the season, I actually don't think, I think we've played at that level in the first half in quite a few games this season. The only difference is I think we noticed it more because we went in 2-0 up. You know, we, we didn't create a hatful of chances in that first half. We created a few, but, you know, we weren't kind of creating chance after chance. The, the problem is that, People are going to these problems like, oh, we haven't got a striker, we haven't got a fit striker, we haven't got people to bring off the bench, we haven't got this. It was fantastic first half. From my point of view, I mean, what you're talking about with those tackles and things like that, from my point of view, it was a it, it was a psychological issue. I just think we came out and we came out flat and they couldn't pick that intensity back up again because that intensity was so high in the first half that as soon as Burnley got the ball that were on them and go back to kickoff, we just stood off them. We stood 10 yards off them. And that set the tone. When that psychology goes like that, you can't, it's hard to pick it back up. And they got a goal within, what was a 49th minute. So they got a goal within five minutes. And then you could just tell that we just got so nervy. Our heads just went. And that's when, when that happens, it's like a domino effect. And then you start giving the ball away and you're not, you're not doing the things that you were doing automatically just, what, 20 minutes prior to that. I mean, the, the, the tackles are a symptom of that. The the marking was a symptom of that. We, we just lost our heads. And I, for me, it was, a, it was a mentality issue. It wasn't, you know, we can go into, you know, showing people are going, oh, well, if we brought in a free agent striker, we would have won that game. Well, no, because I don't think that was the issue. It was just, you know, something based on that 90 minutes where we had a fantastic first half. Half time, we didn't get it right. We didn't come back out with the, the right attitude in the second half. And then there was a domino effect that snowballed from there. And then it went. It's it's football. It, it happens. Is that, do you think, Phil, just a symptom of having such a young team? I mean, that team that was out there, don't know what the average age was, but it's got to be one of the youngest teams in the league. Yeah. Do you think that's maybe just a symptom of having such a young team that psychologically, mentally, they're the, the more prone to switch off because they just don't have that experience, that you know, perhaps a more experienced team might have had. Like, first half, you're looking at it, and that's as free-flowing and as good as we've played all season, you know, some great stuff, yeah. some great goals. But when it comes to the other side, when a, when a good quality team turn the screw, have you got the stones? Have you got the, the wherewithal? Have you got the, the spirit amongst you as a team to respond? You know, is that something that we just say, these are young players and this is something that's going to happen from time to time or is it is that too easy an excuse to make do you think no i think chris is absolutely spot on there gav i think it was totally psychological in that second half you know there was a lot of red herrings floating about on social media blame speakman blame the, the, the lack of a striker blame mowbray blame this blame that it was almost like a boxer who lands one or two really good blows on his opponent and then instead of going in there and finishing him off steps back and admires his work the opponent is able to regroup and come back with some heavy blows you know, of his own. I think it was totally psychological in the second half. But what I would say, Gav, is that, you know, such is the profile of this squad and the generally the youthful nature of this squad that at the risk of sounding a little bit 
maybe talking nonsense here. I do think what happened can happen from time to time. I do think that, you know, football as we know is a game of momentum and the ebbs and flows of momentum in a game of football are so, so crucial. And the problem with us at the moment is that when the opposition gets ahead of steam up and they do start to get some momentum going and they really take the game to us, I think we struggle to contain them at times. And certainly that's what happened in the second half. I think Burnley, they hit us very, very hard, particularly down the wings. We really struggled to keep control of it. And... I think psychologically it did have a massive effect on us. So, yeah, I, I think Chris was absolutely spot on there, Gav. I think it was a mental issue in that second half. Instead of con- keeping our composure and, you know, just managing the game as smartly and as, as you know, calmly as we could, I think we allowed Burnley to kind of drag us into a more open game, which I think we lost control and we lost our discipline. So, if you go, you know, if you look, I've got the match programme in front of me here and I'm just looking through, the you know, Burnley's team. Matthew Lawton, Charlie Taylor, Jack Cork, Josh Brownhill, Jay Rodriguez, Ashley Barnes, Ashley Westwood, etc., etc. They're all players with Premier League experience, Gav. They're hard-bitten, they're well-travelled, they know their onions, they've been around the block. We don't have that at this moment in time, and that's just a statement of fact. So, yeah, I think the young profile of the squad can lead to results like we saw. The most important thing is that they learn from it, though. Yeah, and as we've said, and as we said in the preview show, and as Tony Mowbray pointed out after the game, Burnley are a good team. They were in the Premier yeah. League last season, if you just said. And there was a moment at 3-2 when I looked down to the touchline and they're bringing on Jack Cork and Jay Rodriguez and I'm thinking, mm, there's a bit of a difference here. I'm not I'm not saying they were miles miles apart because first half, we were the better side. Yeah. But I think it's a 90-minute it's a game, it's not a 45-minute game. And um, they managed it better than we did. They did their job first half, Sunderland. But second half, Burnley come out, they knew what they had to do. They knew they had to get an early goal. They knew if they got a set piece or a corner or or anything, if they could get the ball wide, that they had to take advantage of the fact that we, we simply aren't equipped to deal with it. And they did. That's the that's thing. We Sunderland, from a mentality perspective, when you're going in a half-time 2-0 up, everybody should be sat there going, right, we don't give them the early goal they're going to need. We don't concede sloppy goals. We just stay tight for 10, 15 minutes. They're going to come at us. Let's see, see that through. Once they've had that little wave where they where they try to come at us and it doesn't work, we regroup. We maybe try and get a third. We try and we try and hold together. But and we've to be fair, we've done that at times this season. We've won games this season where we've done that. But you know, <laughs> on this occasion we didn't. It's just it's just one of those things, I guess. Yeah, and I I can't look. I can't disagree with you both on on that kind of point about Burnley. I mean, it's absolute fact. I mean, what what you've all pointed out, absolutely true. Premier League experience, fantastic players they brought off the bench and all this sort of stuff. But I think going back to what we talked about in the preview in in midweek, Gav, I do think I do think this game was still about us. And I, th- I think because we we are we are a good side and like we showed in our first half, and what we didn't do, we didn't come out that, with that second half and and have a plan for us. It seemed like you no. know, like I said, we we gave Burnley too much time that we didn't give them in the first half. We changed what we were doing. And I'm not sure yeah. why we, ch- I mean, you know, like was, I, I think it was a psychological issue, but you know, there, there are hints that have come out that have said, you know, did the players come out a little bit confused on how they were supposed to, you know, keep hold of our two nil lead? You know, were, were they supposed yeah, to? Yeah, it, it was it was Dan Neil in, in his post match interviews. That, that people should probably dig these out, but it was I found it interesting anyway. As I heard him on BBC Newcastle and also on the club website when he was asked about the game generally, he he said, well. You know, half of us were doing one thing and half of us were doing the other. Yeah. You know, and it's quite intriguing. 
but that that's why I think it comes back to us because I think we we dictated the game. But I think we dictated the game in the first half in a positive way for us, and in the in the second half we dictated it in a negative way because we stepped off Burnley and Burnley just went well. Look, look, they they made they made a change. They pushed some players on, but they needed the time that we gave them on the ball that we didn't give them in the first half. And and like you said, I mean, when it comes to that, because we've seen, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Watford away, when we gave players of that quality time in the middle of the park and time on the ball. I mean, you look at that, I think it was the second goal, I think it was, where it was the kind of cross-come shot. I mean, how how much time did he have out wide? And in the first half, he didn't have that time on the ball to, to do that. So, yes, Completely agree. It was Burnley. Burnley were cracking side, but they took advantage of what we did and they reacted to us. And I think I think it was about what we did. I think Gav as well, just picking up on the point you made there about the quality of Burnley's squad. It reminded me of when we played Norwich at the stadium like, and Dean Smith was able to bring on Timu Puki and Todd Cantwell. Yeah, I remember, and that's yeah. you know that's the difference. You know what these teams that you know when we're playing these teams that have kind of you know got a core of ex Premier League players as Norwich and Burnley do. When they can call on them to come on and change a game in the second half, as they did, you know that's the difference. And that, and you know, that's not that's not bemoaning the fact that where we are in terms of squad quality, that's just the fact that they're on a different trajectory to us in terms of the development, the quality of their squad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, just to come back to what Chris said there about the game being all about us, I agree. I mean, Burnley were excellent in the second half, but they were aided and abetted, as we said earlier, by our own mistakes. And some very very slack play. If we'd have continued in the same vein in the in the second half as we did in the first, the the outcome of the game, in my opinion, would have been very very different. But it was as if we kind of we'd done the hard work to get ourselves into that two 0 lead. We went in at half time, and then instead of the kind of core of the experienced players saying more of the same, boys, we've got them where we want them. Let's not lose our heads. Let's just keep it calm. It was as if that went just completely out the window. And I think Dan Neal's comments were probably accurate, to be honest with you. I think the game plan in the second half was so confused that I don't think anybody really knew what to do. And I don't think it was a lack of effort either, Gav. I've seen quite a few people saying that the players gave up. I don't think they gave up at all. I think they lost their heads and they didn't know where to turn. So I don't think we should mistake confusion about what to do with a lack of effort, in my opinion. That would be very harsh, you know, in my, my view. Phil, in, in there you said a few words. Uh, you said You said, keep calm. And I think I think that was actually the problem that I think yeah. the, the, the players panicked. The players completely Absolutely. panicked. Because the I mean the the biggest problem for me in the second half was keeping possession of the football. Because what, what yeah. we did, we ended up kind of in, well, at one point we were just trying to kick it anywhere to, to get it out. And inst- you know, the first half, you know, somebody would have taken an extra touch and just laid it off to, to somebody, you know, and played back, even gone back to Patterson because they had that confidence and they weren't panicking. Second half, the, the football was like a hot potato for us. Not none of them wanted it. They just wanted to get rid, and they just thought, right, well, I'm just going to look up and and punt it, and the ball kept coming back. The more it kept coming back, it was just like an avalanche that the the players were panicking more and more, and that's where the game went for me. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, so let's run through the action quickly then. So the first goal um, from Sunderland, obviously in the first half, came from Ahmad, and. I've got to be honest, I think their goalkeeper has done us a favour. <laughs> but good play from us in the build-up. Jack Clark does really well, times the pass brilliantly. And to be fair to Ahmad, in, in recent weeks we've criticised him taking far too much time on the ball when he should be shooting. On this occasion he hit it first time, passes it into the bottom corner, keeper goes the other way. Can he goal, to be fair? you know, I, We deserved it up to that point, I think the first 15, 16 minutes before the goal. We were the better team, Phil, and um, 
deserved it. And and yeah. yeah, like I say, it was a good finish from Ahmad, wasn't it? It was, and I think that'll do his confidence in the world of good. You know, he's he's shown flashes in recent weeks of what he can do. I'd like him to become a bit more uh, ruthless in front of goal. I think you know he, he needs to develop that kind of that cold streak in front of goal, where if he's in a good position, you know, this links back to a wider point we were making after the Blackburn game, weren't we, about how. We are a little bit shot shy at times in front of goal. Um, you know, unwillingness to shoot when we get in good positions. Um, you know, hesitancy when we need you know confidence to take the shot on. And yeah, I think Ahmad has probably been guilty of that in recent weeks to a certain extent. But he took it well. Um, it was well worked as well. You know, and it was the perfect start, Gav, as you said. We couldn't have started the game any better, and that was what made the second half collapse even more inexplicable for me. But yeah, I think the goal for Ahmad would have done his confidence. The world of good because there is a player in there, in my opinion, who can make an impact at this level, and that can't have done him any harm at all. So it was good to see. Yeah, what what did you make of Ahmad's goal, Chris, and more generally his performance? Do you think he's done enough to keep his place or not? Yeah, I thought. I thought for, well, yeah, I mean, how, how can you say? Because uh, you know, based on the first half, uh, we should go out with the same eleven next time. Uh, based on the second half, we should um, ring the changes. So it's, it's kind of you know <laughs> yeah. where, where, where do you go with it? But I mean, I thought Ahmad was was absolutely brilliant the first half. I mean, what, what I will say about our start, and again, at first half generally, I thought we were brilliant, and everyone everyone's rightly kind of saying how good we were that first half. I actually, I, I really don't think it's been that different to quite a lot of the games this season. I think we've played at that level quite a lot. It's just because we were two nil. Everyone got more excited than if we've gone in goalless, you know that. Because I mean, looking at my notes, you know, before Ahmad scored, we scored on about the sixteenth minute. I've only got before then that you know Embleton had half a chance, and and that's it. We weren't kind of peppering the goal with shots, don't, you know. Let's not pretend we were kind of having chance after chance, and their keeper was. I mean, we we pushed them back and we had them under pressure, but we weren't kind of we weren't rattling their goal with shots. But uh, but when it came, you know, Clark Clark did his thing. And actually, what Clark did there, I think he, he failed to do on a couple of other occasions where he actually made that run and got into a fantastic position and didn't release the ball or didn't play a, a kind of a pass that gave somebody a chance. I think he actually had one in the second half where he kind of hit it at Ahmad a bit too hard and Ahmad kind of ended up skewing it wide. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Clark was brilliant and, and a fantastic finish and grateful to the Burnley keeper for, for lying down and watching it roll in. <laughs> One thing I didn't mention before we got into the goals was um, it was about a minute twenty into the game. The ref pulls out a yellow card, which set the tone. I, I and we we on Thursday and for the last few weeks on all the pods really, we've slaughtered the referees and rightly so. But I actually think um, the referee this weekend was great. Yeah, I thought yeah. he'd done a really good job of refereeing the game. He that given that yellow card a minute and a half into the game set the tone because as we've said repeatedly. Chris and you in particular over recent weeks, there's been different guidance this year to referees when it comes to how they manage games. And what we're seeing is a lot of refs just refusing to give anything for the first sort of half an hour of games for whatever reason. Um, but this guy was straight in his back pocket, got a yellow card out for Goodmanson. And I actually think after that point, it sort of showed the players, right, okay, the referee's in control here. And You've got to be fair to him. He did all right, didn't he? I mean, like I say, if we slagged them off enough, haven't we? So we should uh, probably give him a little bit of praise for how we yeah. did. 
he was he was good. He was good. He was he was strong. But I do I do think um, <laughs> if if I dare say it, but it's about time. I think we got the the fair share of the decisions. Actually, that you know there was some fifty fifty decisions that I think that went went our way. And at times, I think we missed a couple of hand balls in that first half as well that that we did. But uh, it's a it's about time where we got the rub of the green with the ref. Yeah, yeah. So we um, followed up that goal from Ahmad four minutes later with a, a lovely left-footed strike by Dan Neal, which I think he, he hit pretty well through a crowd of bodies. We watched it back, like I said, before we were started recording, and their goalkeeper does us a favour, I think. Again, he's pretty much on that post where the goal slips by him. Um, you were saying, Chris, you felt that he was probably shaping up to save something up a height, and Neal's maybe caught him off guard with, with the strike, right? I think it was a, it was a good goal, but yeah. Probably again, their goalkeeper should have done better. Yeah, well, he he had a he had a nice sit down for us again, didn't he? He kind of rolled <laughs> rolled over um, for for both of our goals. He wasn't. I can't remember him making another save actually. That he actually made a save during the game. I, I think all he did was pick the ball out of the net. Pretty much, I can't can't really Possibly, remember yeah. off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, Dan Neil hit it. I mean, left foot. I, you know, when the ball drops to a player like that, you don't quite know how he's going to make contact. Whether it's going to go twenty yards over the crossbar, which normally it does when it when it drops, especially. When you realise it's a player who his left foot might not be his natural foot, but absolutely fantastic finish. But the, what I do want to make a point of in that goal was um, was the ball in, because this is where yeah. Embleton being two footed. I mean, if he gets a consistency into his game, Embleton could be just even at this level, he could be a fantastic player. It's that hot and cold thing that if he can sort out, then he he would just be a permanent fixture in the team because on that right hand side, just naturally pulling it back onto his left. And knocking the ball in, he could have knocked it in with his right. He could have knocked it in with his left, but a fantastic ball in, and and that's where where the I mean Evans I think won the ball at the back post and fantastic finish by Neil. But Embleton was uh, w- was cracking on that right hand side. Yeah, the goal, Phil. You happy with it? I guess you were happy at the yeah, time, but um, very much in, so. in terms of the way we worked it, it was like like Chris says, great ball in from Embleton, and. Um, we 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 dealt with the bounce. We we actually won the header. It came down to us, and yeah, we we got yeah. the goal. I I actually didn't realise until I watched the highlights because I sit at the I was sitting at the far end of the stadium, so I couldn't actually quite see where the ball had gone into the net. It looked to me as if the keeper, as if uh, Daniel had actually gone far post, and only on the highlights did I see that the keeper's been beaten at his near post. So that, it, it was it wasn't the greatest piece of goalkeeping you've ever seen, but you know it was a well worked goal. And you know just to um, pick up on Chris's point about Embleton, I do think that. He is an inconsistent player, but he's got a lot of talent. I do think, I, I, and in one sense, I, I admire Tony Mowbray for sticking with him, actually, because, you know, that's one thing that we've praised Mowbray for, isn't it? Is that the fact that he is giving players as many chances as he possibly can to make a claim for a start in the team. And I think Embleton's kind of living proof of that. He can go, he can be a bit anonymous at times in games, without a doubt. There can be periods in games where he, he won't really do a great deal, but he's also got you know, that bit of magic, as Peter Reid would have said, in his locker that can really turn a game around. So, yeah, I think that, again, you know, we, we keep using this word consistency, don't we, about players at this level, but they've got to get it. And I think Embleton is living proof of that, without a doubt. But, yeah, it was a it was a very well, well worked goal, without a doubt. Yeah, he, he was brilliant last weekend, poor on Tuesday, good first half. Yeah. <laughs> this week, I'd say... You you don't you don't get two good performances from D in the room. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really it's it's tough because I like I really want to like him, and I do like him. I do I do think there's there's aspects of his game I admire and stuff. But it's like you know when are you gonna put these because it's he's not a kid anymore. Do you know what I mean? He's 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 got a little bit of experience now, not loads, 
but he has played quite a lot of football. He's well established now, and he needs to start putting runs of good performances together, not just blowing hot and cold. You're saying he's played a lot of football, and he's played a decent amount of football, but I actually don't think with the stop-start kind of nature of how his career's gone and gone out on loan, he hasn't actually played a full season that many times through injuries or whatever it's been. So, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be a permanent fixture in the team for a full season is is actually, you know, it's actually a pretty tough thing to do. And it depends on what stage of your career you're actually able to do that. And not only that, it's his first time to, you know, step up to the championship playing week in, week out at this level and being a, a fixture in the team. But if he can get that consistency right, there's no argument, there's no debate to have how talented he is. It's just if you can get that consistency right, he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet. It, it was interesting how we shaped up, though, because um, normally he would play either deeper alongside Evans or he would play just ahead of Pritchard or just alongside Pritchard. But on this occasion, Pritchard was sort of out on the left-hand side. Embleton played as the 10, and it worked in that first half, definitely. And Pritchard suffered for it, mind, because... <laughs> he didn't. He didn't see as much of the ball as he normally would. No, he didn't, and it was interesting. And and look, I, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I picked up on it, but Danny Collins did call it out in the, in the commentary. But I, I was look, I was looking at it as as Danny Collins actually said it. Embleton, when we didn't have possession of the football, Embleton was kind of was pushing on them. So we almost had a four four two, and Jack Clark and Embleton was kind of split their split their centre half so they couldn't kind of knock it about the, the back and get some momentum going there. And he, he pushed right up. So we all, they they had the ball and we pushed right up and had Evans and Neil just as and then and then when when we had the ball you saw that Embleton kind of picked it up in those those pockets and you you saw the clear plan in the first half that just seemed to go out the window after half time. Yep. And uh yeah we'll get on to that bit now where so at half time they brought off Ashley Barnes with did he get booked in the first half? I don't think so. But Ashley Barnes came off at half time for Manuel Benson, who changed the game. I think he was brilliant. He was absolutely outstanding. But that had nothing to do with Burnley's first goal, which came just four or five minutes after half time. They get a set piece. It's um knocked into the air. There's a bunch of issues with this goal, but they get a set piece. It's knocked into the area. We don't deal with it. It gets to Nathan Teller and Despite the fact he's five foot eight, he scores a header. Let's run through it then. <laughs> so the the goal itself, Phil, was. I mean, we've seen this so many times recently. Yes, we we are poor at set pieces. We don't have the height to go man to man on set pieces. So what we are doing is we're playing, and and it must be so easy to prepare for if you're an opposition manager, because we've only really got one way of defending these set pieces. We put Onai and Bart and. I think on this occasion it was certain because Elise yeah. wasn't there. Marking zonally along the, the six-yard box and everybody else's job is just to disrupt. And on this occasion, we didn't disrupt. Corey Evans is the man marking Taylor Harwood-Bellis. He gets caught ball-watching and Bellis knocks it across and Teller scores. It's it's poor, isn't it? I mean, we his job is just to be disruptive and he gets caught ball-watching. I actually thought Corey Evans was great, but yeah, he made a rick for that goal like... Yeah, he did, and you know it's it's not a secret, Gav, that we do struggle from set pieces. Um, it, it's been it's been an issue for quite some time, and it hasn't been remedied yet. Um, it will be hopefully when Daniel Ballard comes back, you know. And I think Adji Elise was a big miss when he was ruled out. I thought, oh god, here we go again, because he'd been so influential in yeah. recent games. So that's been problematic for us. Um, a lack of height and a lack of physicality at the back. But yeah, the the goal itself is just it's so so it's it's elementary stuff really. You know, as you said, Corey Evans 
you know, he's got to, he's got to do more to keep Taylor Howard Bellis from getting that ball back in. You know, he's in, I know Howard Bellis is a big lad, but Evans has got to be a bit stronger there. But for me, I think Anthony Patterson gets caught in no man's land as the ball is played back in. And I think that this is, I might, you know, I'll run the risk of getting slaughtered for this, but I think command of his area at this moment in time for Patterson is a weakness in his game. And I'd like to see him improve that. And I think, you know, I think back to how Thomas Sorensen was when he first came here and he was bossing around defenders who were a lot older than him and a lot more experienced than him. I think Anthony Patterson needs to start doing that. I think he needs to start cleaning people out if necessary. You've got to run the risk of, of being clobbered. If you're if you're in that position as a goalkeeper, you've got to take the chance. You come out, you take the ball, and if you get hit in the process, that's just part of the job, I'm afraid. Um, and I think he could have been a bit better for the goal. And I think Patterson's a fantastic goalkeeper, and he's going to be great for us over the coming seasons. But he's not the finished article. And I think a, a weakness in his game was exposed. But yeah, it was it was a very sloppy goal to concede, Gav, without yeah. a doubt. What, what, what's irritating for me, Chris, is that in the first half, he did that. He did those things. He did clean people out. He did come flying out and catching balls. Like He'd done all of those things in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then on that set piece, he didn't. I mean, talk us through your thoughts on the goal. I know you've um, you've you've got some notes there and what you thought. Yeah, I mean, years have gone kind of called it and gone through it I mean exactly what I think as well I mean I mean yes okay we've got a we're at a disadvantage with the makeup of our team in terms of set pieces and winning the ball in the air but we've got a plan and we put that plan in place and we've got those three players on the six yard box as you said Gav the rest just put players off problem is that plan just clearly wasn't implemented properly and you know there's been plenty of times like you say Gav even in the first half they had corners and we, we won the ball and got a clear because we got the plan right. Now, when when you've got a six foot, what, six foot two, six foot four centre half, kind of have a have a clear header at the back post and knock it back into a dangerous area. I mean, there's it's probably, you know, chances are it's only gonna go one way after that, especially because um you've got you've got somebody completely unmarked in the six yard box. But Evans has got to do better at the back post. And and he, look He'll be the first to know it, and I'm sure more brave. I mean, if it's clear to us, it's going to be clear to them. They're going to be having words. Yeah. Evans will know he didn't do his job properly, and and yeah, he's got to put an elbow in. He's got to give him a nudge. He can't. He can't be able to have a clear header to put the ball where he wants. And on Patterson, Phil completely agree. I mean, people going on about he was pushed. I mean, it's to to me, to me, he looked like he was kind of instead of preparing himself for what was going to happen, he was like whinging about being pushed. And it's like... You've got to be stronger, haven't you? You're going to, you're going to be pushed. People are going to push you all the time. You don't, you don't just kind of, you know, go to, go into the goal and then saunter back and then you're out of position. You you get it, you get back into position because you're not going to get decisions like that. You're not going to get things given. And and if it is, you play until the whistle anyway. And he needs to get back into position and be ready for that second header because if he's in position... He doesn't head that ball, what, three, four yards out. Patterson collects it or Patterson punches it. So I, we've mm. got to be better all round. Yeah, I think Nathan Teller, I think he he gave us a bit of a lesson in how to be disruptive when you're not big mm. because yeah. because he was involved in most of the goals in that in that way, you know, and, and he, he was on this occasion, he was the one pushing Patterson um, and then putting it in the back of the net just seconds later. And then as, he, as we'll come to find, he, he was involved again. Um, their second goal, then came about ten minutes later. Not good enough again, Chris. Is it really? We um we allowed them to run at us. I think it's Dennis Serkin who he starts off far too far away from the man. He's about ten yards off. Once he does get closer, by that point, Benson's already cut onto his left foot, 
and whipped a ball in. It's never a shot. It evades the heads of two Burnley players, if I remember rightly, and floats into the far corner where Patson is. He's got to do better again, I think, there. But, you know, it's not just him, because in the build-up, Serkin's not doing a good enough job of stopping the cross. I mean, that's what that's that's what you tell kids. Don't let the ball come in the box. Stop the cross. If you stop the cross, there's no chance of them scoring. It's as simple as that. You know, yeah, that, that's why the, these players are, are are very good players and they find ways to get work the ball in the box. You're not always going to be able to stop it. But I think on that occasion, we made it very, very easy for Benson to whip it in. And it wasn't exactly a... I say a whip. Was there loads of pace on the ball? I don't think so. No. It was quite. It was. It was sort of medium height. It wasn't exactly high. It just evaded everybody. Patterson, I think, gets unsighted by that, and I think he's got to do better again. To be honest, Chris. But you can go back even further. You know, to, to before you even get to the goal, because there's half an hour left at this point. Still half an hour of the game left, but we're in complete panic mode at this point. Yeah, and the, the amount yeah. of the amount of sliced, rushed clearances we made, which sometimes went straight up in the air. Sometimes just went in no man's land. Some, I mean, it. I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been too disappointed if it was like Johnny Wilkinson into the far corner. If you're going to do it, do it properly. But I yeah. mean, like I said, some some of them were sliced ten yards every time. Hundred percent of the time, basically, they went back to Burnley, and then that just kept heaping the yeah. pressure on. And the pro, the other problem, what that created as well, is we dropped far too deep. So basically, we invited Burnley to to kind of keep building that pressure, and we didn't we didn't kind of take a moment to put a foot on the ball and just say, right, let's get out, let's push up, you know, twenty yards up the pitch. So I mean, it came from there. And then when Benson got the ball, I mean, if you go back, if anyone looks at the highlights, look at when Benson picks up the ball. I mean, Serkin is already standing fifteen yards away from him. I mean, he he's got that time to look up and think, right, well, what am I going to do with this? And Benson's already made his mind up before Serkin gets to him because he's had that time to think. Because Serkin doesn't sprint out to him and close him down. It takes him a while to get across because, I mean, you know, there's that distance to cover. And Benson's already made up his mind. He knows what, exactly what he's going to do. Cuts inside and, and then and then plays that ball in. And, uh, you know, the only... I will give Patterson a bit of leeway to say that the two Burnley players who made that run into the box... I, mean, I actually thought it was a great ball in. I mean, as a as a winger from that position, you play the ball in with the intent of a player to to get a nick, but you aim for that back post as well. So it was, a, I think, it was a cracking ball that he played in because that's what you do in that position. But those Burnley players were were pretty close to getting the ball, and I'll I'll kind of give Patson a bit of leeway to say, well, he was expecting that touch, but it still it still shouldn't have snuck into the back post. Nah, I, well, he was. I just look at his starting position for the goal, and he's that he's that side of the post. Yeah, and I don't know the, the work on these things in training, and I, I don't know. I feel like he should have done better, but the third then came after a spell of pressure. To be fair, they just kept coming. Burnley. We made a yeah. change a couple of minutes after they they got that second goal. We brought on Jason Bennett for Alex Pritchard to try and regain some control. Mowbray said after the game he felt as though we just had to try and get back into the game somehow and give us ourselves a bit of fresh impetus. Didn't really work, Phil, did it? And like I say, Burnley got the third, the the first time they were ahead in the game. Yeah. And it was a cracking finish, but yet again, there's stuff in the build-up of the goal where I feel like we should have done better and we could have prevented that. Yeah. I mean, we keep coming back to this, Gav, don't we? Is that, you know, it, three of Burnley's goals were horrible from our point of view. 
and even the you know the world class one that we're talking about now from Zaruri was you know the finish was emphatic and there's nothing Patterson could have done. I mean that was that was just an absolutely fantastic finish. You know he curled it right into the corner. If we'd have scored that goal, we'd have been talking about it for ages afterwards. But the build up again, we keep coming back to this phrase: the build up to the goal. Trihume pulls out of a challenge that he really has to commit to fully. He's got to go in, like yeah. like what like um like Agilise did in against Wigan last week when he goes in at full speed. He takes the ball, he flattens the man, everybody picks up. And it's a different story. So I think Trihume's got to do better in that situation. Um, but yeah, there's nothing he can do about the finish. But again, you know, we just talk about these little moments. And I think if Trihume looks back at that, which I'm sure he will do, he'll think, mm, could I have been a bit stronger there? Could I have been a bit more, you know, firm with my, with my challenge there? And I think he could have been without a doubt. So again, self-inflicted, Gav, without a doubt. Yeah, it's an interesting point that uh, Phil makes there, Chris, about the, the commitment to the tackle. At that stage in the game... A massive tackle where he cleans the man out would have would have got the crowd off their seat and would have got people back behind them. And we might have built a little bit of momentum and it just would have changed the atmosphere, I think. And instead he sort of he he doesn't commit to it. It's a it's it's sort of a half tackle and he's weak. And the the other lad commits to it and gets away with the ball. And that's sometimes the difference. Like my mate was making this point to me after the game, because I'm not a massive Lyndon Gooch fan. I always you know, people who listen to this every week know I'm not. But what I do commend him for is, is his commitment, his heart, his desire. All of those things are there with Gooch, and you know, I just that when people, I'm, I'm like screaming out for a for a different option at that in that right back berth. Hume's got his chance, brilliant first half, but it's in those little moments where you do notice the difference. You think, well, you know, would would Gucci have went through the man? I think he would have, you know. And and Hume's got to look at that back after the game and go, if I want to be in this team. I've got to play at full throttle. I've got to give it everything. If I want to, if I want to keep him out of the team next weekend, I've got to show Tony Mowbray I mean business. For 45 minutes, he did. And then the second half, like everybody else, when we lost control of the game, he was out of the game. And I just, you know, again, an experienced player would have went through the ball there and would have took the man with him. Gav, you, you can, we can highlight Hume and maybe rightly so. It was part of them, you know, getting, you know, getting that 3-2 lead. But... As you touched on there, every single player, every single player, was guilty of it in that second half. We yeah, we we yeah, could go through yeah. that second. We could go through that second half. We actually let we we could go back to the first half, find a highlight where every single player put a tackle in and went in hard and went in you know with that kind of intensity, and then we can go through the second half and find every single player doing the opposite in the second half. Yeah. So, well, Hume yes. did it in the first half. I remember a great one down down the edge of our box. Hume yeah. did it. Hume did it at least twice in the second half. Yeah, he, he almost yeah. had a standard ovation a couple of times because of the the, the cracking tackles he was putting in in the first half. So, yeah. look, let, let we we can pick on Hume, you know, if you want, because it leads up to the goal. That's fair enough. People can do that, but let's not say it was only Hume who did that. No. Every single player because their heads had gone. Their heads had yeah. completely gone. They they were kind of you know they I think their mentality just thought well Burnley are now stronger and they weren't going into those tackles and yeah you can say maybe experienced players would do that but I think Evans was guilty of it as well so yeah okay let's highlight Hume because it was part of the goal but let's not pretend it was it was just Hume guilty of it I think 
Every single player were guilty of it in that second half. It's a collective effort, isn't it? You know, the, and you know, Hugh was probably looking at his teammates and thinking, you know, well, oh God, you know, Dan looks a bit nervous in possession. You know, Alex looks a bit nervous now. You know, Danny looks a bit nervous, etc., etc. And it just, it, as you said earlier on, Chris, it just snowballs, doesn't it? You know, the players start to, you know, one player starts to get a little bit edgy, and then it just filters through the whole team. And then before you know it, everybody freezes and nobody knows what to do in that situation, do they? So, you know, I, I certainly don't think we should, I, I don't want to sound like we're digging out Hume unfairly here, but his was a symptom, as you said, of a wider issue that affected the team in that second half, without a doubt. And, and the the worst thing that affected us was was when the, the heads went like that, in possession of the ball, and we'll, we'll come onto it, <laughs> it might be a segue into the fourth goal, because one of the biggest symptoms of it in, in terms of possession was nobody... Nobody wanted the ball and nobody was yeah. getting into good positions to receive the ball. And and nobody kind of, nobody was moving. Nobody was supporting each other and saying, right, you've got possession. I can see you're in trouble. I'm going to get into a position where you can give me the ball or I'm going to say, you know, just pass it back. I'm going to give you an instruction. I'm going to help you out by telling you what's on. And that all, that just all broke down. And, and you know, we'll, again, we'll come on to it. But the fourth goal was a perfect example of what happens when, when you get like that. Well, there's a question for you, Chris. Then, so in the in, after that third goal from Burnley, they brought on, like I said earlier, they brought on Cork, they brought brought on Rodriguez, who are both quality players. Our response was to bring on, bring off Embleton, bring off Evans, bring on Mishu, and bring on Bar. Is it working? Just throwing kids on and taking players off and hoping that they'll rescue the game. It hasn't worked since. Pretty much say Watford, has it? I don't know. No. But but Gav, that's that's a, that to me that's a red herring because the game had gone by then. You know that had yeah, it though. We were it, only three two down. We were only three two down. We had to do something. No, but uh, yes, okay. Well, exactly. I mean, you've ju- you've just kind of called it that he had to do something, and he's only got what he's got on the bench, and that's that's what he's got on the bench. And sometimes it's going to work, but you know that if you throw he's throwing young kids on to to try and change the game in an attacking sense. But the problem was we weren't attacking. We needed we needed someone to put in those tackles to kind of change that mentality, to change the way the game was going in a kind of the the physical kind of nature of the game. And and it wasn't happening. But the comment I do want to make about subs is that my my kind of issue is we're making the same subs at the same time of the game, every single game. Now yeah. the the problem is with that, you're gonna have you're gonna have those players like in their preparation for week in, week out. I mean that that's just what they're going to get used to in the in their kind of mindset. They're going to be saying, "Well, I'm on the pitch till you know an hour to go, fifteen minutes to go," and they're just going to know that you know. I mean, I'd love to go through the games and see how many games in a row Pritchard's been brought off with twenty minutes to go, you know, fifteen minutes to go. How many times Ebbleton's been brought off? How many times Evans been brought off? I mean, I think it's been the same players being replaced by the same players, and if you do the same thing all the time, I mean, the the, the change needed to be made. You know, they got that goal five minutes into the second half and we could all see which way the traffic was going. Let's change it then. You know, don't don't wait until the game's gone almost and heads are down when you've gone 3-2 down with 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, whenever you're going to make the change. Make it earlier, react to react to how it's going to happen. So, yes, I've got, I've got an issue with subs generally. I mean, in, in this game, I just think, well, by the time he made it, the game was gone. I think from, if I can just... Uh, touch on Chris's point there, Gav. I think it's an interesting point that you made about the substitutions. Now, I look at a player like Edward Mishu, for example, and he is, in my opinion, he's not the kind of player 
you, you should be bringing on when you have lost control of the game and when it is starting to run away from you and when you're scrambling to try and get control back. I think Misha was the kind of player who is best in, in, a, in a role where you're on top in the game, you've got control of everything, and he can come on and do his stuff. Um, Barr, I think, is a different kettle of fish. I think Barr is more of an industrious type player who can really make an impact in that situation. But I think what you said, Chris, um, about the timing of the substitutions is absolutely spot on. I think Mowbray was on the back foot, frankly. I, th- I think, to be honest with you, I think his head was probably as scrambled as the players' heads appear to be as that second half Warren. You know, it was as if he couldn't believe what was going on either. So, yeah, I think that, I think that you know, when you start throwing them on, it, it, to me, it's not the issue of throwing kids on as such. I don't think that's necessarily the issue here. I think it's it's a question of when you throw them on and in what situation you're bringing them into. That's the, that's the difference. You know, I don't think it's I don't think it's as black and white as what you said necessarily, Gav. But yeah, I, I think that the dynamic of the game at that point was it was all going in Burnley's favour, and you're asking them to come on and make an impact at a time when the game was really starting to swing away from us, which is always going to be tricky at the best of times. So, yeah, I think Mowbray was probably a little bit too late with his changes. But again, you know, that that's something that he'll have to answer for. And I don't think he'll shy away from that. No. I, I, my, my only problem, I guess, was that with them changes in particular was where we were losing control of the game wasn't through the middle. It was down the sides. It was... I yeah. Mean, we, I, I don't know. It was just very like, like Chris said. He was bringing the same players on for the same players. It was like for like changes. Misha and Misha wasn't going to change the game so much that we were going to get back into it. I just, I know you look at the rest of the subs and there wasn't like a, a great deal there. He didn't bring on Diaku Matete. I'm guessing he just doesn't fancy Matete because we haven't really seen much of him. But if we were going to bring anybody on to give us a bit more bite, I would have probably put him on because at yeah. least he's going to put a tackle in and he's going to put his side about. But even then, I'm looking and I'm thinking, well, what can you really do? There's not a, well, there's not a lot there, is there? You know. You have both mentioned Michu, and 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 you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree. But bringing Michu on earlier, you know, when we were struggling to put a foot on the ball, I mean, Michu looks like he's that type of player who can handle a football and can keep possession. And yeah. you know, bringing him on after you know after Burnley pull one back. And, you know, it's all ifs and buts and, you know, you, you might have been, you know, absolutely spot on with saying he wasn't the right one. But who's to say if you brought him on after Burnley started getting back into the game and just tell him, look, put a foot on the ball, slow the game down, calm it down, just keep possession of the football. You know, we might not have gotten into the spiral that we'd getting into after that. I mean, it's all ifs and buts and who knows. But it's it's about it's about targeting your substitutions to do a specific job. At the minute, yeah. it seems to me, 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, it's right, let's make the substitutions. Regardless of the situation, regardless of what changes we need on the pitch, it's making the same subs for for almost the sake of doing it, rather than saying, right, this is going wrong, meet you, yeah. get the ball, yeah. keep possession, do this job for me to change the game. It's just 15 minutes to go, right, lads, come on, it's time. I mean, yeah. do, do it for a reason. That That's sort of the impression I got from listening to... Uh... Mowbray after the game he even said, you know, we're we're looking to these young players to come on and give us a give us a boost. And I'm thinking, well, it, it's be, it's become a bit. We're doing it every game now, and it's there's no real thought or logic behind it. And like you've just said, I mean, this this does segue us into the fourth goal because it was a complete lack of understanding, which really led to that fourth goal. Bar hangs onto it a little bit too long. Should probably pass it to Danny Bart. He gives it to Neil, who's asking for the ball, who's not in a position to do anything with it, gets caught out of possession, same as he did 
down at Sheffield United. It was a very similar goal to concede. And yeah, everything goes out the window. We concede the goal. Fans leave en masse from the stadium. There was about 5,000 of us left in the ground come the final whistle. And it was a microcosm of the whole performance, really, that, that one moment where we just, you know, two lads who aren't on the same wavelength, not understanding each other. Yeah. And the ball ends up going to Neil. He loses possession, even though he's asked for it, Phil, and we concede it was a another avoidable poor goal. But as Chris has touched on, by that point, it feels like the game had totally passed us by and we'd... Um, We'd already tossed it off by that point, and maybe in the players' minds, they just wanted to get off the pitch and curl up in a ball. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that it was it was it was just a kind of a sense of what the heck's going on here type of thing. You know, they just mm. it was it was obvious in that last ten minutes that they just they just completely lost their composure and the, the game had gone. And Burnley, to be fair to them, I mean Burnley did what any good team would do in that in that situation is really you know turn the screw and take advantage of the fact that we were starting to struggle. Um but yeah the the fourth goal gav it, it's it's the classic one isn't it you know you lose possession in a dangerous area Burnley have suddenly got a, they're in a in a promising position the ball slipped into Brownhill I think it was and he's just got the easy the easy task of of slotting it past Patterson for the for the fourth goal. So all four goals obviously you know you've got the first which is a sloppy one from a corner you've got the second which is the speculative cross that nobody cuts out the third's the world class strike after a bit of sloppy play from us and then the fourth as we're watching it now, back on the highlights, is just an is just a, a poor piece of um, of indecisive play. So again, you know, Burnley did what they had to do. But if we'd been a bit more calm in those key moments in that second half and just had the courage of our convictions to do what we did in the first half, keep playing as Chris said, keep the ball moving, don't treat it like a hot potato. The game could have been very very different. So you know, it's a big big and it's a very harsh lesson for us. You know, the scoreline looks very very harsh. But that's the reality at this level, Gavin. I was chatting to a friend after the match and I said that, you know, that what we got away with in League One, you are absolutely not going to get away with in this division because teams are more ruthless, managers are more savvy. There's a, you know, there's there's the quality is, is so greater in this division, you know, certainly from Burnley, that you are going to be punished and we've got to get smart to that, Gav. You know, there's nothing wrong with these, you know, as long as we can use this as a lesson and learn from it and make sure we don't repeat the same mistakes... Long run, it might be good for the players' development, and that's what I'm hoping it'll be. Mm. Chris, your thoughts? Gav, you, <laughs> must, you must have replayed that 20 times when Phil was talking there. Will you, will you turn it off? Will you? <laughs> it's cruel and unusual punishment. Do you know, do you know, do you know, why, I, do you know why I pulled it back, though? Just because I'm trying to look for signs of what went wrong. And <laughs> something, wrong. Yeah, well, something that didn't, I didn't pick up on at the time is Dan Neal, just as he loses the ball, look where he is. He's dropping back casually, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> mentally we're gone. Mentally we're gone. Absolutely. Actually, well, the worst the worst thing about that, if you if you want rewind it back, um, his reaction when the goal goes in, his first reaction is to turn around and look at everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. but but yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, like like I said, that that fourth goal was it was just a, a symptom of what was going on then, and 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 that we 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 just weren't keeping the ball and. We were, I mean, because in the first half, Neil would have just pointed back to the centre halves and just told you know Barter, you know, just pass it back there. Let's keep possession. Don't don't give it away. We don't need to. You know, we're not in any rush. Don't worry. Just play the ball back. But because we were trying to get back into the game, we got a bit desperate and heads had gone. We just uh, you know Dan Neil asked for the ball in a in a you know crap position where where Burnley were on him, and uh, his first touch kind of let him down. But. What I, what I will say, just, I mean, generally in the game, I mean, yes, Burnley kind of pinned us in and put us in, in, in 
under all that sort of pressure. But I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, looking again, I mean, we saw the game, but looking at the stats, Burnley didn't pepper our goal with shots. They didn't go through on goal, you know, five times and should have had goal after goal. I mean, they scored four goals. They had four shots on target. I mean, they had they had nine shots. We had we had ten shots, and we had five shots on target. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like Burnley kind of were were going clean through and should have scored six, seven, eight goals. They had four shots on target. They scored four goals, and actually, I mean, two of those were absolutely kind of fantastic goals, weren't they? I mean, you know, Burnley didn't kind of wipe the floor with us. It wasn't like we, you know, we we put ourselves under pressure. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I think it was about us. I don't, I don't that yes, Burnley tweaked things, but I think it was it was things we didn't do that we were doing right in the first half, and I mean we were our own worst enemy. Yeah. Well, have we depressed ourselves enough? Yeah, I think what? so. It's been cathartic in a way. Yeah, uh, we had to talk about it. Look, we don't just turn up when uh, Sunday are playing well and talk about all the great things. We have to talk about the crap stuff. Just been feels like a while since we've had to talk about a capitulation like this, but it's just one of those things we've got to go again. It's important how we respond, isn't it, Phil? It's it's like you know, people will point to the the form of the team at the minute. We've I think we've won one in eight. Yeah, be, yeah. So you know that that doesn't sound great, does it? And there's no sugar coating it. But you have to say that in that spell, and for most of this season, we've been missing some big players. And I'm looking at the fixtures now, and we've got four games till the World Cup. Yeah, and. We've just got to try and get through this run. Three of them We've got are to try away. And get through this... uh, yeah, three of them are away from home. So, it, yeah, that might yeah. be a bad thing, actually, because I didn't really talk about it, but I don't know. I didn't really like some of the... I'm not going to dig our own fans out too much, but, you know, people streaming out the ground when the fourth went in, booing. I don't like booing. When it's, when it's warranted, I get it. Totally get it. You know, boo teams off who've got no heart no desire no passion for the club who don't try then yeah boo it yeah but this wasn't one of them occasions and i think it's i think it's important to say here gav in my opinion that if you compare the, the sense of unity and team spirit that this team has got to the sense or the lack of that when we were last in the championship in 2017-18 i think it's night and day personally um and i don't think there's an attitude problem with this team i really really don't you know back then we had a team of wasters mercenaries uh, Driftwood, who half of them didn't want to be there, and the other half were phoning it in when they were playing. I don't think it's well. It's not like that now. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. So I don't think there's a problem with the attitude of the team. I don't think there's a problem with the application of the team. I do think we let our heads go down a little bit too easily, which I think is understandable given the onslaught that we faced from Burnley in that second half. But I certainly don't think there was a lack of effort there, Gav. I think that towards the end, I think we just we had nothing left to give. You know, the, the, the tank was empty, and in the end, you could see by. Some of the body language as, as as Burnley's fourth goal went in, shoulders were slumped, heads were down, arms were up in in, in disbelief. So I think that's a natural reaction in that situation. But I, I don't think there's an attitude problem, Gav, or an application problem. I really, really don't. I think it was a bad day at the office, as you said. The form's not great. Just looking at the, the upcoming games, we've obviously got Luton, Huddersfield, Cardiff, and then Birmingham uh, in the next four. I think they're winnable. I think Luton will be the trickiest ch- challenge of them all, without a doubt. Kenilworth Road's a tough place to go. But they've just got to bounce back, Gavin. This is the this is the first time this season I think that the players are going to be under real, real pressure ahead of a game. I think we're going to really find out what they've got and what Mowbray's got as well, because you know we all, we've praised him for being this kind of fatherly figure, haven't we, to the players and the kind of guy who'll put an arm around the shoulder when necessary and nurture the young lads if they need it. 
But I think there'll be a bit of tough love this week. And I think that's probably justified, you know, because... But they've just got to move on from it, Gab. That's all they can do. It's happened. It was a bad day at the office. It was a bad result. But we've just got to try and move on from it now. Mm. Just very quickly, though, one thing Mowbray shouldn't do, though, is lose, you know, in terms of the, the players and what they get out of the game, is lose what was so good about the first half. Absolutely. Yeah, because absolutely. That, that was us at our absolute best. And we sh- we shouldn't we shouldn't forget how good we were in that first half. That you know, moving forward in in terms of an example of how how we do things. So I just hope he doesn't. You know, it's it's not so much. Yes, we have to kind of re- get rid of what whatever happened, whatever went wrong in that second half. We have to sort that out. But let's get back to that first half performance and make sure that that yeah. that's our standard and we keep it for ninety minutes. Yeah, like I said, Luton next. They've. Done pretty well recently. Let's you know you're just looking at the fixtures. Yeah, they beat Norwich, um, beat QPR recently, drew away at West Brom, and uh, scored three against Huddersfield. Uh, beat Hull away, beat Blackburn, who of course beat us. So they're no mugs. They were in the playoffs last year, as you said, Phil. The at Kenilworth Road, they're a good team, and that's probably going to be the toughest set. How do you see us bouncing back from this, though, Chris? What do you what do you see happening? Because it's going to be a. This is sort of when you look at at the games we've lost this season. This is probably going to be the hardest one to rebound from. Well, I mean, look, like I said, like I said a minute ago, we've we've got to we've got to hold on to how good we were in our first half for the players, hmm. and we have to focus on the specific things that went wrong. And and Mowbray will, will look to see what happened at half time. I mean, only they will know what happened in the dressing room at half time. Now, if they if they were given instructions that they couldn't go out there and and kind of implement properly, you know, then then if that's behind it, then they can sort that out and say, right, well, we can target exactly what went wrong, and and deal with that issue. But let's let let's you know, it's saying bounce back. It's not bouncing back from a truly kind of awful ninety minutes that we've just had an absolute disaster. It's recovering from whatever went wrong and pinpointing exactly what that was, but saying, look, we were better than Burnley. I mean, there was only one team in it, that first 45 minutes. You know, we should kind of play on that and focus on that and say, well, that is our standard. That's how we play. And just going on to, just going on to Luton Town at Kenilworth Road, yes, you know, it has, been, it has been a fortress, but their home form isn't that great this season. They've uh, they've, they've only won two out of their, their eight games and they've drawn half of them at home this season. I mean, they're, they're kind of, they've got, Actually, looking at it, they've got exactly the same record as us at home this season. And you wouldn't say our home form has been spectacular this season. I think that's kind of people are going on about our home form, actually saying that's a, it's a bit of a concern. Our away form's decent. You know, we've, we've won we've won almost half the games away from home this season. Um, and we, we go at teams the way we play. So I, I, I think we could we could go at them and get a result at Luton. Why not? Let's end on that. Nice, happy, yeah. optimistic order. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Phil. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Jeff. Cheers, Chris, as always. You'll be back with a preview, I imagine. Yeah, thanks for re- replaying that fourth goal 20 times. Cheers, Gav. <laughs> Enjoy it. Yeah, well, thankfully, this is an audio podcast, so the listeners didn't have to live through that. But yeah, cheers, everyone, for listening. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back, like we say, with a with a preview. RoteReport.sbnation.com with, for all your content as the week progresses. And yeah, we'll catch you next time. See you later. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Can the reach of a plan sponsor extend beyond the retirement plan? With financial well-being support from Vanguard, you can help your employees gain the peace of mind to embrace all of life's moments. Discover Vanguard well on your way. Visit institutional.vanguard.com to unlock financial well-being. All investing is subject to risk. 